Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Web Chatham Report, episode 99. Had to think about it for a second there. Thought this might be episode 100, and I should do some special thing. Now I have two weeks notice before episode 100, so I have plenty of time to do some special thing. But I'm pretty sure I'm not going to do a special thing. That would take a lot of work and advanced planning that I don't really have the capability for at the moment in my life. Hi, how's it going? It is. Let's see here. Day 536 of my pandemic quarantine, which shows no signs of abating. I gotta tell you, I have serious FOMO at this time of the pandemic. I I feel that those of us with small children of an unvaccinated age are generally more stressed and worried about the pandemic than other people. If you are a right and proper purveyor consumer of science and you are childless at this point you are of course wearing a mask but not unworry worrying unduly about the pandemic because statistically speaking even if you do get covid it will be a very mild case so it is not unreasonable for you to go out and enjoy yourself in the world um That calculus is a little bit different when you have a small child. Uh, We can still pass the Delta variant when we are vaccinated. We're pretty sure of that now. And kids can get it. And it does seem a little bit worse for them than previous versions. Statistically speaking, it's not, you know, a huge risk. It is worse than the flu now. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. But, you know, it's probably something you could endure and 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 bring that risk into your life if you had to if you're a single parent you needed child care your child they need to go leave the house for other reasons but i don't have any of those things <laughs> I, I got a wife and a mother-in-law on the property with me we work from home we don't have to go anywhere so it really changes the calculus like yeah if my mom got sick again and i needed to go to alaska or there's some emergency that called me away from the house i would go But, you know, it's enough of a risk that it's hard to justify, like, leaving for a show or something like that, right? Yeah, that's just not really going to work. So, anyway, all that is the long way of saying that I'm still home. Still pretty much acting like this pandemic is going on. (laughs) And it is. Over 2,000 people died yesterday. Which is the worst it's been since the winter. So, that's pretty depressing. But I got to say, the FOMO is getting really, really rough. I don't blame people for it, but man, seeing people at rock shows, seeing people visit other friends, going on vacations in the woods with friends, old friends, and I'm just like, I want to do those things. I want to do those things. I miss my friends. But not so much to put my kid's life at risk. I do hope still and all indications are that this is a reasonable hope that we will have a vaccine for children jane's age by the end of the year maybe january in my head before i was saying november but i've shifted that till january i'm going to be at home till january is what i've come to realize and i can do it it's a fixed amount of time five more months I like my house, I like my wife, I like my kid a whole lot, I, I, I generally like my day-to-day, 
it is kind of weird. Uh, a friend of mine just used a different topic, which just remind me of the phrase of eating ice cream for dinner every day. And like, yeah, it sounds great until you have to do it. It's kind of what I'm living. <laughs> it's a pleasant place to live. It's a, it's great, but man, yeah, the routines. I, I even like routines, but you know, it gets to you after a while. It gets to you after a while, but I can do it. I can do it. Anyway, Chatham County's doing lovely. We're still in the thick of summer. The heat hasn't broken. A real feel yesterday was 106. There's been more rain, though, which is nice. So the garden is doing okay. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Very, very humid. Some days, 70% humidity in real feel, 106, high 90s. It's been, it's been intense. <laughs> I go through a lot of shirts. Uh, but everything's very green, and I, I really like that. I, I like how green things get here. When we first moved here, we just drove around saying, it's so green, and this time of year especially. And it'll get greener before fall comes, but I love it. I love it. Uh, there are some people out in my yard today building a play set. It's kind of funny. Back in, God, April of last year, at the beginning of the pandemic, Emma was like, we're going to get a play set built from these people and put it in the yard. I think I even talked about it on the show. And like, uh, there's this company in Chatham County, and they just specialize in making play sets. But, you know, uh, number one, the pandemic affected them in terms of demand. Like, millions of people suddenly needed playsets for their kids who were stuck at home. So, you know, there's a long waiting list. And then the, the family-owned company and the, the husband of the couple that runs the place, he died of COVID. Or no, he died of something else, but it was during the pandemic. It wasn't COVID. So that, you know, that set them back. And then some of her employees got COVID and and lumber prices went through the roof and she was like all fixed price and we'd prepaid. So I'm sure she was doing some stalling on that. And anyways, it's been, (laughs) you know, 19 months and she just showed up yesterday with one day's notice to start building the place that. And, uh, you know, it was getting me a little intense because this thing's like, I don't know, it's like over a thousand dollars. It's not cheap. It's like a custom made wooden, beautiful playset, you know, but like it was all prepaid. So it, was, it was kind of out of her hands. She didn't have email. You could text her and she, sometimes she would answer. And it was like, are we going to, did we get scammed? Are we ever going to lose this? Are we going to lose this money? And then she was like, I'm coming tomorrow. And she showed up yesterday and sure enough, they're out there now and they're building the playset. So it's happening. There's going to be this awesome place in their yard. And I guess they say they might finish today. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, I just totally assumed that it wasn't going to happen. Kind of like these record crates I ordered. I think I told you guys about this. This is like two months ago now when I did the office of the studio reorg. I I ordered some more record crates because I got this great setup for my record bins and there was room for three more and I needed them. So, you know, it's been really hard because I, I had these these record crates. They're all the same. They're made by disc keepers and, and there's certain dimensions and size. And it's been very hard to replace them because disc keepers went out of business. And uh, so I found this guy in Etsy and it was not cheap, man, you know especially with shipping on the things because the disc keepers <laughs> maybe this is why they went out of business or stopped making them but they were on amazon with prime so you know they were free shipping for these giant wooden crates it's kind of absurd but this guy is not and so i ordered these things three months ago and he for a month nothing happened then he made a tracking label and said it was shipped and i was like okay cool and then like a few days went by you know i assume these things are coming ground and i looked and like it was just a tracking label he never actually like shipped them and then so Etsy had believed him. And so like over as days went by, Etsy just assumed this whole thing was over with and they never showed up. And, you know, I've like I, I sell stuff on the Internet and I make shipping labels with tracking numbers and then I might not ship them till the next day. Right. Like I'll pack up the CD and it'll be 5 p.m. And 
I'll stick it on the counter and I'll, or even I'll take it out to the mailbox, but like, it's not going to get scanned by USPS until the next day. So, you know, at first I didn't really think it was that weird, but like literally another month went by and I was like, all right, this dude never shipped these. And then I, so then like about three weeks ago, I, I, I messaged him on the Etsy app and I was like, what's up, dude, where are these? And there was no answer. So finally, four days ago, I was like, all right, well, I got scammed out of 300 bucks, which sucked. And I put on Etsy, I was like, I want my money back. And then literally within minutes, he's like, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'll send these now. And he's sending you a tracking number, which is now going through the system and supposedly shipped. So we will see if these are real now or if he's just scamming me. I literally wouldn't be surprised if these show up and it's just like a box of uh, cardboard boxes or something. I'm going to fill myself opening it because I'm pretty convinced. I'm still pretty convinced I got scammed on these. But uh, yeah, maybe not though because it all worked out with the playset, right? Yeah, this is going to be a really long web chat and report today. <laughs> I can tell already. Uh, it's Friday. I am technically at work, but nothing's happening today. I have uh, no meetings on my calendar. And uh, it's also the last Friday of the year I'm going to work. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to go to Wilmington. I've been saving my vacation time to go to Wilmington to see our friends in Wilmington, but like they have a lot of stuff coming up and some family problems and issues. And of course the pandemic's gotten a lot worse. So we kind of like accepted that wasn't going to happen. I took two days to make a week out of my Thanksgiving holiday. We already get the Christmas to New Year's holiday off. And so I had, you know, I had like 10 days of vacation left. We get, we get 20 days. I used five to go to Alaska and five across Thanksgiving and a couple other little places. And so I had 10 left and I just worked it out that I could take off almost every Friday between now and the end of the year because <laughs> the company's still giving one Friday off. And, you know, I think there's like a couple holidays in there that I already had one day off. So I didn't make it a four day weekend, but basically I could extend it to the end of the year that I'm only working four days a week for the rest of the year. And I'm very excited about it. <laughs> I'm very excited about it. I don't have anything to do. <laughs> it's kind of weird and pointless because I'll probably work some of those days and uh, days I won't work. I'll probably just sit in this exact same seat in front of the exact same computer. But I had the vacation days and I wanted the flexibility. So I just took the days. <laughs> yeah, I feel good about it. Our property tax bill came in. It was pretty intense. The whole county got reappraised last year. Our value of our property went up like, you know, 40%, which was reasonable given all the work that we've done in the five years on the house. I mean, we built a whole other house. We put solar, we put Tesla batteries. We, we redid the entire basement, which is like 2000 square feet and, you know, put in a library and a theater and uh, two new beautiful offices. And, you know, it makes sense. It sucked. And <laughs> our property tax bill went up a ton, but I just paid it. A lot of people in the county are freaking out, though, because they did not do these things, and their bill went up a lot, too. The other thing is, like, we refinanced last year, so I had gotten a third-party appraisal, like, a month before the county did this, and they lined up. So I knew I didn't really have a chance to go in and appeal the bill. Um, you know, maybe I could have gotten sympathy, and they would have knocked it down a little bit this one year, but it, what was going to happen? It was, it, I just didn't buy it, you know? And, uh, but all these other people are freaking out because they like, they just bought their house for 370,000 and they get their appraisal for like 410. And you know, like the County's not wrong because they, and it looks very nefarious in hindsight. I know they didn't plan it this way because they had been saying since 2019 when the reappraisal was going to happen, but you know, they ended up doing this reappraisal at the peak of the COVID housing market. So everything was through the roof and, uh, people are freaking out. 
And I mean, I think they feel like, I feel like they should do something about it. Like, I don't know what, like a one year abatement, maybe. I don't know, man. It's rough. People are like, you know, yeah, their house is worth that much, but it might not be next year. I think a one year like postponement might be a way to go. Or I don't know. I mean, I know these things are really expensive to go survey every house, every property in the county, but it's an unfortunate confluence of events. But I decided not to make, you know, not not to be the. Uh, this wasn't my battle, so we paid the bill. But it is. It's a it's a hot topic here in Chatham County this this month. A lot, of, a lot of shit going down. A lot of people involved. <laughs> this guy used to say. <laughs> My friend Mike and I he used to live in Brighton, Massachusetts, and I lived in Alston. And, you know, we were on the rock and roll scene. And there's this guy we knew. And whatever you'd see, we'd be like, hey, man, how's it going? And he'd just sort of keep walking if you saw him on the street. And he'd be like, a lot of shit going down, man. A lot of people involved. A lot of shit going down. That's all he ever said. Never told you what it was. There's <laughs> just always a lot of shit going down in that guy's life. I don't even remember his real name anymore. He's just a lot, a lot of shit going down guy. <laughs> I think of him a lot. Anyway, health. Uh, I quit nicotine the day I last talked to you guys two weeks ago. Uh, so it's been intense. Uh, I still nick fit a fair amount. I'm eating a lot of mints. Uh, I'm using icebreakers mints of many flavors. There's probably 20 packs in the house. Uh, they're big packs. They're like, you know, four inches round and they rattle in your pocket. So I don't carry them in my pocket. So I leave them sitting everywhere I might sit. There's some in the kitchen. There's some by the TV. There's some up in the playroom where I watch Jane at night. There's some here at my desk. There's some by the, you know, by the door for when I go on the walks. There's some in my car. <laughs> they're everywhere. And uh, it's working. Um, I'm proud it's happening. I think the Nick Fits are getting, are getting less. Uh, you know, I quit smoking more than a decade ago, but I have been constantly on the one milligram nicotine lozenge and, or the e-cigarette the entire time since I quit. I've been done with the e-cigarette now for over a year since before the pandemic. So almost two years. Uh, but I still was taking nicotine the whole time. And, uh, I just, the other day I was like, this is dumb, man. I'm almost 50 years old. I got to stop this. What am I doing? I mean, like my, like, you know, somebody Jane's going to be old enough to realize what's going on here. This is just stupid. I got to stop this. And so I stopped, uh, and it's hard and it's unpleasant, but, uh, I also desperately need to diet. I've gained four pounds this year, but I was already had gained, you know, 25 or 30 last year in the pandemic, which was just a nightmare. And, uh, I just don't, I'm, I'm slowly ramping up to getting ready to diet. Uh, but you know, it's all related. Uh, I took those blood tests. My blood was actually in pretty good shape aside from my good cholesterol was basically zero. Uh, so I, you know, I was like, I'm trying to get on semiglutide, you may recall. And like, I, you know, I asked my doctor to try and put it through the insurance anyway, because my BMI is pretty high at this point from all this weight I've gained over the pandemic. And I was like, yeah, let's just see if they approve it. They haven't gotten word yet. So I'm kind of in this stalling pattern is my point. And like, I'm ramping up to do the diet. I've stopped buying junk food from the store. There's still some in the house that I'm like slowly working my way through. But you know, like once this, they tell me if the insurance company can do it or not, I ordered a treadmill. Uh, I was worried that there was going to be a like, like it was going to be like a chest freezer situation where it's going to be like a six month back order on this treadmill. But I, apparently all that's done. Everybody that had like fitness freak outs of home gyms at the beginning of the pandemic, all that's over. I ordered the treadmill like last Monday and it's showing up today. So, uh, I just wanted it for the winter. I can, you know, we go out walking every day and get a good exercise as a good hill. But in the winter last year, this is really what screwed me is we didn't go walking in the winter and I got no exercise for like four months and I vowed I'm not doing that again this winter. So I got this treadmill. It's coming early, so I have to deal with that today, but uh, or tomorrow, this weekend. 
anyway, I was like, well, I want to make some positive steps in my health while I'm waiting for this like word on the semi-glutides. I was like, get the treadmill and all that ready to go. But you know what I could do in the meantime is I could quit nicotine. So I did. And, uh, I feel good about it. You know, um, I'm proud of it. I, I do think in some ways it's me stalling on dieting because I'm totally stalling on dieting, but, uh, also it really needed to be done. So, you know, it's like, it doesn't really matter. It's a weird thing, right? It doesn't really matter. Like nicotine, when you don't inhale it in, in smoke form, isn't that harmful. And you know, lozenges, they're approved by the FDA. They are utterly harmless, right? E-cigarettes, obviously jury's still out. There's some concern, blah, blah, blah. But lozenges, you can really take them your whole life. It doesn't really matter. Like the FDA is like, yeah, lozenges are fine. But the big problem is, is like, it fucks up my ability to get life insurance. <laughs> Because they don't, there's no way for them to distinguish in your blood tests between smoking and lozenges. And so they just assume if you have the lozenges that you're a smoker, it's a reasonable assumption. Most people, even if they're on lozenges, are going to like give a fuck up and become a smoker again. But I'm not, it's been over a decade, but they don't know that. So like, you know, it like makes my, it makes it very hard to get insurance, life insurance. So that was one thing I was like, I really need to get like, I have some basic life insurance through work, but I need to get a better policy. Which means I need to be healthier, which means I need to take care of this. So I am quitting nicotine. Yay, me. Jane as well. Uh, she's very into her routine, thank God. Uh, you know, we're in a pandemic. She can't go anywhere. Last month, she was definitely like, try something new, try something new, try something different. And it was very heartbreaking because, I'm sorry, Jane, we're in a pandemic. We're gonna, not going to try something new or different. And except for like the foods you eat and the games you play and you don't want to eat different foods. So, you know, what are we supposed to do? And then I had just started taking her out to the stores again before the Delta came along. And so I had to stop taking her to the stores. And it looked like for a moment there, I we broke her. And I was like really worried about it. But now she's just, it's, it's not a problem. She's super into her routine again. The other day she woke up, I opened the door and I came into her room and she jumped up and she's like, yay, Wednesday. I love Wednesday. And I'm like, all right, Jane. <laughs> she did it yesterday too. She's like, it's Thursday. And today it's Friday. And then every day she like, you know, we're at breakfast. She's like, what are we doing today? And I tell her what we're going to do today. And it's literally the exact same thing every day, except for minor variations, like what we're going to have for dinner. And, you know, Grammy doesn't come on the weekends. And, but you know, it's the same shit every day. Like we have breakfast that daddy goes downstairs to work. You play on your phone or color. Then Grammy comes and you play with Grammy. Then mommy comes and you play with Grammy and mommy. Then we all get lunch. Then mommy and Jane do time. And then, then we do dinner and then, <laughs> And then we go on a walk and then we do bedtime with either mommy or daddy. And, and, and I'm telling her what's going to happen today. She's just so excited about it. She's like, oh, yes, we're going to do Grammy time and then lunch. And I'm like, you know what? This is great. I mean, given that we're 20 months into a pandemic and there's no hope in sight that I can take her to do anything else anytime soon. I am so lucky that my daughter is just like, this is awesome. I'm going to do the same thing again today. So, yeah. That's that's good. Uh, it's her birthday today. Not her year birthday, but her month birthday. She's three years and ten months old today. Since before she was born, I have been writing to her every month on her birthday. I just wrote today her letter to herself. Uh, basically, just recapped it for you. And uh, I looked at it. It's already 150 pages. And I'm like kind of excited about this. You know, like, uh, I, don't, I guess I'll give it to her on her 18th birthday. I'm not sure exactly when. It's really going to depend on her maturity level. <laughs> I'm winging it. But, you know, it'll be like 700 pages at that point. It'll be like a record of her whole life. Uh, I, I think that's kind of crazy and intense. I wonder what that'll feel like. 
I don't know. I don't know. It's a, uh, it's a thing it's happening. And the other really great thing these days is that about a week or two ago, we injected into our daily routine after breakfast when we come downstairs before she turns on the lights and adjusts the light level to this absurdly bright light level. Uh, we do Rockabye Baby. She curls up in my arms like a little baby and she just gets the biggest grin on her face and we both sing Rockabye Baby. And the part when it's down will come baby, we say down will come Janie and I do a little drop on her and she does a little like mini child roller coaster thing. And we go down will come Janie and do a little drop and she just starts giggling. And we go, you know, cradle and all. And she loves it so fucking much. I mean, she's almost four. This is well beyond her age range. You know? <laughs> she's well beyond the age range of Rockabye Baby. And she just loves it. She loves pretending she's a little baby and it's like the cutest, most adorable thing. And every day I'm like, Please let this not be the last time that she lets me do this. Please let this not be the last time. But one day she's just going to not let me do it anymore. And it's going to be such a bummer. But it's awesome right now. Yeah, she's good. She's good. Work is good. Uh, so revenue's rebounding a little bit after Apple privacy stuff, which is complete bullshit. <laughs> there's a great art. I wrote about this in my daily email today. So if you get that, you can read it. But there's a great article yesterday called Apple Robbed the Mobs Bank about convincing everyone that Apple ATT was about personal privacy and not screwing Facebook. And uh, I loved it, obviously. But anyway, when it all implemented, we just didn't ask anyone for their permission. And not in like an evil way, in a we'll take the hit way. So like, you know, until you ask people for permission, you can't track them in any way, which means that you get less money on your ads from them. And so we just didn't ask anyone. We just wanted to wait and see how things were going to play out, right? So, and also uh, that became like a floor on revenue for us. So like, you know, after this happened and uh, the iOS 14 rolled out, that was the least amount of money we were going to make because someday we were going to start asking them and not all of them were going to say no. Some of them were going to say yes. So we finally started asking and it was pretty good. It's, it's better than I thought it was going to be. Uh, it is definitely more than Apple would have you think. Like they act like this is a no brainer and most people like are completely against it and blah, blah, blah. Nobody would do this, but you know, a lot of people do because the ads are better. <laughs> I just got a complaint today from somebody that was like, turned it on and now they get crap ads. And I'm like, well, what do you expect? <laughs> but so anyway, the long of that is the short of that is that things are going okay at work because of all of that. Uh, there's a big settlement quote unquote last night that Apple announced there's a class action lawsuit against Apple in their predatory ways in their app store and they are settling it. And the Washington time uh, post reported this and they had a misleading headline saying Apple will now let you pay other ways. And I thought that meant that Apple was now letting you actually like process a credit card in app without giving them a cut, like using Stripe or something like that. But no, that's not what it means. All that's really changing is that they are no longer policing your speech, which has been a thing. You probably don't know about this, but like if you have the Kindle app, it's very obvious. For example, you have the Kindle app, you can search for books in the Kindle app, but you can't buy them. You can't buy them because Amazon doesn't want to give Apple a 30% cut, uh, which is fine, I guess. I mean, I think it's evil, but that's that dems the rules, right? But on top of that, Amazon can't tell you this. So it doesn't say in the app, you can't buy these here, but go to amazon.com or on, you can buy this and it'll show up in your Kindle app. They're not allowed to say that. Apple polices speech, which is obviously bullshit. And so that rule is going away, although they are vague about it. And they're saying for small developers, which is also bullshit. 
Uh, and it's just a press release, right? They have to get this. This is a settlement. So like this has already gone to court. So like the judge has to approve the settlement and they may or may not approve it. Uh, but until that document is submitted, we won't see the actual details of what they're agreeing to. So it's by a bunch of window dressing and everybody fell for it in the middle of last night. And they said, Apple's doing all this great new stuff for developers. And they're not, it's bullshit. They're not actually doing the things that Epic, for example, is suing them about. It's just window dressing. And I was, I fell for it. <laughs> I was watching Myth, Mythbusters last night and I saw this tweet and I was like, oh my, I tweeted out, oh my God, without reading it. Cause the headline explicitly said something that turned out to not be true. Washington Post has changed the headline. Uh, anyway, so I fell for it. I feel dumb. Yeah. And then, of course, there is their child sexual material photo scanning where they're going to scan every photo on your phone. And everybody's complaining about it constantly. It has definitely spread. Uh, a lot of the Apple bloggers are saying it's bad. Uh, you know, Daring Fireball still being a bit of an apologist. But Renee Ritchie, for example, who I thought, you know, he's like one of the Apple bloggers that is perhaps the, in the top five of Apple apologists, he's totally against it. And uh, Edward Snowden just wrote another article about it yesterday. There's a great like, uh, couple op-eds in the New York Times about it. And, and But they're just not backing down. They're just ignoring everything. And they're saying people are misunderstanding it. And they're like, no, they're not misunderstanding it, dude. The, they know exactly what's going on, and they don't want it. But Apple is just ignoring it. I've turned off iCloud. It's unclear if that even makes a difference. Oh, it also turned out that it was already happening. They said it was coming out in iOS 15, but a bunch of hackers figured out that they're already doing it in iOS 14. So they lied. Uh, and it's unclear still, to me anyway, I'm trying to like dig into the hacker community, but it's so filled with acronyms that I can't really follow it all completely. But uh, it's still unclear if it happens when you turn off iCloud. It might still be scanning and just not matching. So that's super awesome. They still haven't offered any details. They still are ignoring everyone and being completely patronizing fucks and telling us all that we are misunderstanding it. Yay. Yeah. Anyway, I still love Apple, but God, they make it hard sometimes. Projects. Gardening's going great. Uh, the cucumbers and new cucumbers are going gangbusters at better than my spring cucumbers ever did. They're in the hoop house. They've grown out of the hoop house. I've cut little holes in it for them. They're like trellising on the netting of the hoop house. It's very pretty. So are the beans. A lot of green. A lot of green. Um, I've got some ideas for beds next year that I'm very excited about. Like a couple of like beds we have now that have dumb bushes in it that I realize that I don't think MRI care about the bushes at all. And I can turn into planting beds and they're in perfect full sun positions. So I've been thinking a lot about that. I would need to buy some wood and do a little terracing because they're all in hills, you know, and put up like a wood thing and then fill in apart so they're more flat. But yeah, I mean, I think I think this could be it could be huge next year. I'm, I'm, I've been thinking a lot about that. The rain's been really good. The heat is insane, so all the plants are wilting a little bit. But the heat, the rain is offsetting that, so the, most of them are pretty good. One thing that sucks is I have this giant basil bush. It's I mean, it's a bush. It's four feet tall. It's insane, and I was growing in a grow bag that was sitting in a mulch bed, and I just I decided I needed to move it because it was shadowing shading my carrots, and I picked it up and. I didn't realize that they could do this, but it had the roots had grown through the grow bag into the dirt below. So when I picked it up, like all those roots got yanked out and I moved it and I've been watering it, trying to save it. But I mean, just this huge, like three foot wide, four foot tall, sweet basil plant and all the leaves are starting to wilt. It's not dead yet and it might turn around, but like I really fucked it up. <laughs> I feel really bad about it. I didn't know. I didn't know its roots had grown into the ground through the grow bag it was crazy uh i got a bee sting last week when i was gardening it really hurt for like three it actually still kind of hurts now that i think about it i'm just 
Well, yeah. But uh, yeah, that sucked. <laughs> I haven't got one of those in a long time. Uh, yeah. And the compost is doing well. And I got a new hose uh, solution. So we had a plumber come to fix like a, a pump, a sump pump in our wet bar sink. And I got an estimate for putting a spigot over by the the compost bins because right now I got to run this hose and I got to move the hose all the time because the hose has to run across the lawn and the, you know, the lawn, I can't mow the lawn when you got the hose there. And so it's just an annoying thing. And, um, I'll probably get this spigot put in, but in the meantime, my hose got a leak. So I had to get a new hose, a whole new hose situation. And it's all showed up this week. So I can, I'll get all that fixed this weekend as well. So gardening, man. Yeah. Gardening. And then the studio rear gets mostly done. The treadmill is arriving today. I've got the space all marked out for it. Um, feeling pretty good. Feeling pretty good. Uh, I love the new workbench. I just love that. I, it's beautiful and it's it's enough. Uh, I I need to really get rid of the Crystal Castles machine and I need to get the Farfisa fixed. But it's a good room and I'm happy with the layout. And I I think this project is coming to an end probably this weekend. Well, if you know the whole record crates thing, we'll see what happens with that. But uh, other than that. We are close to the end of the Studio Reorg project writing. Uh, you know, I haven't heard from the Japanese guys, but Lisa and I have been working pretty steadily, and I think she's making good progress. So the good morning, hello, how are you book? I'm optimistic we'll get this done by the end of the year, which would be nice. So, you know, get a book out. I can feel really good. Um, other than that, it's really just been the daily emails. They're really fun. It's been satisfying. And, uh, you know, still writing my 750 words every day. I write a lot. I'm, I mean, I write a lot. A lot. But I'm not working on a book. Um, I think about it sometimes. I stay up at night and get insomnia thinking about how I need to finish which half is wasted and I could redo it and I've got it all in my head and it's mostly done and I should just finish it. But it's really hard to do that on top of a baby and a kid still and I can't carve out the mental space as much as I try. Uh, yeah. Slightly sad ending to end this on, but uh, generally I'm feeling pretty good about my productivity and projects. Let's move on to the media section, which is... Jeez. Oh, this is going to be long, man. <laughs> I listen to a lot of media. Okay, let's start with the additions to Plex. If you are using my Plex, uh, I added two Mike Figgis films. Uh, I don't know why. I haven't rewatched them yet. They're both pretty low resolution, so I don't know if I will. I've got the DVDs coming. They're not out on Blu-ray yet. But uh, Miss Julie, his adaptation of the Strindberg play, starring Saffron Burroughs, his ex-girlfriend, uh, I think that's actually what set this whole thing off is somebody, some friend of mine was watching Deep Blue Sea, the shark movie, who, which also stars Saffron Burroughs. And I started thinking about her um, and I saw the world premiere of Time Code. No, Miss Julie, actually. I saw the world premiere of Miss Julie with Saffron Burroughs and Mike Figgis present. So I've always loved that film. And then uh, Time Code, which is is sort of experimental film where he shoots the same story from four points of view simultaneously uh it was very innovative for its time now i think we could all understand it intuitively because we sort of see a lot more sort of multi-viewpoint media and art out there but uh it was you know pretty groundbreaking film when it first came out um yeah so i put both of those up there uh the favorite just some of these are just coming from my netflix dvd queue but uh, i finally put the favorite up there i love that film i should rewatch it uh roller coaster <laughs> 19 78 thriller about a mad bomber of roller coasters that features Sparks the band in it. <laughs> We're going to be talking about Sparks a lot today. Uh, Zabriskie Point, uh, the Antonini film. I love that. I realized I didn't have it, so I just got that and put it up there. Bambule, the 
documentary by German radical terrorist Ulrike Meinhof about the about a girls' school <laughs> that was uh, run by a bunch of overbearing fascistic uh, administrators, and the girls revolted. Uh, something she worked on before she became, you know, part of the Red Brigade and all of that. I don't know why I was thinking about, about, about oh yeah, Ulrika Meinhof, because two reasons. One, she uh, casually mentioned in the Genesis Peorage book where he said, and I don't believe that Ulrika was his neighbor in London for a while. And then uh, uh, the Cindy Talk reissues, there's a song on Wappenshaw called Muster and uh, Gordon slash Cindy references Ulrika Meinhof in the song, and both of those got me thinking about her, and so I remembered Bam Buell, the movie, and I've never seen it, so I wanted to grab that. So I grabbed that. Whirly Bird, the 2020 documentary from the BBC about uh, the Tour family, Katie Tour's parents, who were the helicopter news pilots in L.A. that filmed both the O.J. escape and the uh, riots in L.A. after the Rodney King massacre. Uh, beating, not massacre. <laughs> Jesus. Um, anyway, very, very fascinating movie about these helicopter news people. Very good. Very well done. And uh, I strongly recommend that that's up in the Plex. On Discogs, I sold one, two, three, four, five, seven CDs. Uh, Ian Brown, former lead singer of the Stone Roses, his uh, solo album, Golden Greats. Never loved it. It was okay. Ida, love Ida. Very, very mellow band. Uh, with their album Will You Find Me, which is actually my favorite Ida album, but I do own it on vinyl already, so I was okay to lose that. Minus the Bear. I don't know anything about these guys. I think this was my friend Tick for the CD. I don't know where the Minus the Bear CD came from. Uh, might have been a promo copy. Anyway, uh, called Omni. Somebody bought that. That was great. Uh, enjoy. <laughs> Live in Manchester. That went for a bunch of money, man. Uh, enjoy was a sort of early 90s electronica rave band right before the rave broke big in America, sort of right before the Prodigy and all that stuff. Uh, and they're one of the bigger bands. And Live in Manchester was a very early EP of theirs. And uh, it sold for like 40 bucks on CD. It's a rarity. It was a rarity when I got it. It's always been a rarity. It was rare. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, Eric Satie and Red Bird and Factory Classical. So three CDs to the same buyer. I've been talking to this guy. He's collecting all the Factory Classical CDs. I owned all the Factory Classical at one point, so I turn out, it turns out I'm a pretty good buyer for him. Uh, sold him So Crate by Eric Satie, Songs of Love and Death by Red Bird, and the Factory Classical Sampler. Various artists. Uh, yeah, so those are all the CDs I sold. I'm not going to buy any of those on vinyl. The only one I would consider is the Ida one, and I already have it. I didn't get a lot of vinyl in the mail, though. Whew. All right, let's see. So back from the Throbbing Gristle Genesis cozy period, I got the Desert Shore Final Report album, uh, the XTG album, the last album that Peter Christofferson worked on with members of Throbbing Gristle that Genesis did not work on. I got the first Throbbing Gristle album, the second annual report. Actually, that hasn't shown up yet, has it? Never mind, that hasn't shown up. We'll talk about that next week. I own a lot of Throbbing Gristle on vinyl from back in the day. Like, I have Mission of Dead Souls and Heathen Earth and a couple others. But I never owned the first album, so I was just like, I just got myself a cheap copy. But it hasn't shown up yet. Uh, Coil, I was buying... So, I've always bought Coil records. But a couple things happened. One, I switched to CD right around Horse Rotovator. Like, I have the early stuff. Panic Aqua Regia 12-inch... That first album, <laughs> the first album, 
<laughs> the angelic conversation, uh, some other stuff, some of the early stuff on vinyl, but then I switched over to CD. So the snow Hellraiser themes and horse Rotivator, I had all of those on CD. I sold them for a lot of money. And then the late period coil, I was buying a vinyl, but it's worth so much money. And people are just like wanting, I, I sold some of it for like five, $600 a, a record. Um, but I've decided I want to own the early stuff again. So I had the snow, I had uh, Angelic Conversation and a couple others, but I did not have Horse Rotivator, Hellraiser, Themes, and the snow. I said I had the snow, but I might have Love Secret Domain on vinyl. I have a test pressing of that too, actually. But I did not have Hellraiser, Themes on vinyl, and Horse Rotivator on vinyl, and the snow. EP. Had all those on CD. They've all sold, so I didn't own them anymore, and I wanted them. They were not cheap, but I wanted to have them again, so I did. And I feel good about it. They're beautiful. They're lovely. I got good pressings of all of them. Mm, yeah, very nice. Uh, mostly reissues. I didn't need to have original pressings on those. Uh, Kala. So Kala is uh, a band from New York. Well, from Denton, Texas, by way of New York. Moody, atmospheric band. Very, very good. I really, really liked Kala. So they used to be a band called the Factory Press, and uh, the drummer's name was Wayne Magruder. And I knew Wayne a little bit because he used to be the drummer for Bowery Electric when Bowery Electric toured with Cindy Talk. So uh, Factory Press, I got to see a couple times, and then Early Cala, I would see a couple times as well. Saw them in Boston a few shows, saw them at the Cooler, uh, in Tonic, in New York. Uh, always really loved them. And then my friend Ryan out in California posted on his Instagram that he was listening to, and I was like, oh my god, I haven't thought about them in ages. And I did not own any of their albums on vinyl. I owned them all on CD. Uh, they're not super expensive, so I bought the two I could find easily on vinyl, Collisions and Televised, which are my two favorite Cala albums. Uh, so they are great. And it's, I've been listening to a lot of Kala again. I really like them. Uh, moody, atmospheric rock, just very well done. Very well done. I don't know what happened to any of those guys. They, none of them was even making music anymore. I don't know why they were all really good. I hope they do someday again. Got the new Lord solar power. Uh, I like it more than I thought I would uh, from the singles. Uh, I like the song Solar Power. You know, it's a ripoff of Faith and Primal Scream, but I'm okay with that. And this apparently so are both of those bands. And I loved that first single. And then the second two singles, I was like, mm, not really feeling the Stone at the Nail Salon single or the Mood Ring single. But the rest of the songs of the album I actually really like. So I am into the new Lord. Yesterday at Walmart, I bought the new, <laughs> the only, the debut album by Olivia Rodrigo on vinyl. The Walmart exclusive edition on red vinyl, Sour. I just finished listening to it again. I've listened to that album a bunch. It's pretty funny. So between those and the Billie Eilish last week, three of the like seven albums in my new rotation are all like teen pop. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Uh, I got a Dolly Parton album, Code of Many Colors. It was the Vinyl Me Please album of the month for country last month, so I did a switch over to the country album. I don't remember what the main one was, but I didn't want it. Uh, and then I got a new EP from a band called Folixoid. Uh, I don't know anything about them. It's on Sacred Bones, but the reason I got it is because it's a collaboration with Jay Spaceman of Spiritualized. It's called The London Sessions. I assume it's like freak out jazz noise like his other solo stuff is, but uh, I haven't listened to it. I've been listening to too much other stuff, so I will get to that today, hopefully. So we can talk about that last next week. All right. Here's all the stuff I listened to. Oh, my God. Are you ready? This is too much, man. <laughs> I'll try and be quick. Oh, my God. Okay. Sightless Pit. Grave of a Dog. Sightless Pit is a super group featuring Linga Ignota, who I've become obsessed with. Uh, and speaking of which, I also gave her debut album Caligula a listen to this week. 
Last episode, I talked about Linga Ignota and her new album. So I listened to her debut album and the super group she's in, Sightless Pit, uh, Grave of a Dog, both very intense, harrowing goth metal insanity. And I strongly recommend them if you're into some of the most disturbing music you'll hear this year. Uh, and then I followed that up with Steve Perry, former lead singer of Journey and his solo album Street Talk, best known for its lead single, Oh Sherry. Uh, pretty good record, a little bit more proggy than I remember from my childhood. <laughs> I was trying to explain to Emma just how big Journey were. Uh, (laughs) I was like, they were bigger than, I was like, Taylor Swift. She's like, that's not possible. I'm like, I cannot convey to you how big Journey were. (laughs) I was like, they had their own stand-up video game. I think they had two. And she was just like, what? (laughs) You know, like in her mind, like they had Don't Stop Believing. And and I was just like, no, they were huge. I looked up their album sales. They sold a lot of records, man. I think she might be right, though. I don't think they're quite as big as Taylor Swift. They're bigger than Taylor Swift now, folklore-era Taylor Swift. I don't think they're bigger than, like, red-era Taylor Swift. But, yeah, I was just like, I can't convey to you. They were, like, you know, one of the biggest bands in in America at the time. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, then I listened to Glenn Campbell. They they released a new live album. It's from 2008. Uh, You know, he's obviously, he's passed. And it's called Live of the Troubadour, and it's really good. And uh, so I was like, man, you know, like, I didn't really follow Glenn Campbell's late career. And he put out a bunch of good albums towards the end of his life. Meet Glenn Campbell, Ghost of On the Canvas, and Adios. And I listened to all four of those records, and I liked them all. Star Trek, so, you know, he's like doing that sort of like elder statesman kind of thing, songwriter with a lot of good guests and covers of songs he loves, weird covers, unsurprising ones. There's a U2 cover, there's a Green Day cover. <laughs> They're not necessarily the best choices, but his version of All I Want You as You on the Live of the Troubadour is really, really good. Uh, and then I listened to the Secret of My Success soundtrack, <laughs> the Michael J. Fox film from, I'm, I'm going to say 1987, 88. Because somebody had mentioned David Foster, and I started thinking about him and how much I loved him in high school when I was learning piano. Me and this guy, Nick Contento, that sat next to me in French class, we were both really into David Foster and the Secret of My Success soundtrack. And David, er, Nick had like David Foster live cassettes, and he would loan me and stuff. And then I just never thought about David Foster again, but apparently he's still out there doing stuff. <laughs> so, yeah. I was like, all right, I'm going to listen to this. Uh, so I listened to that. I also listened, oh, because it wasn't an album. I just played the David Foster channel on Spotify and listened to like the top 10 David Foster songs on Spotify. I listened to it for like two hours, but it wasn't an album. So I didn't really mention it here. Uh, caveman smash <laughs> smash the new caveman album. Uh, really, really good, man. Very mellow, uh, beautiful album. Strong recommend the new caveman album smash. Uh, and then I got really into Sonny Chirac. I had never heard of him. We'll talk about it in a little bit, but I was watching the movie summer of soul and towards the end of the movie, there's just this 30 second scene, blink and you miss it thing with this this guy just wailing on a guitar doing this like acid freak out thing that was would not be out of place in like uh, Acid Mother's Temple or Six Organs of Admittance or some of the like psych folk stuff I'm really into. And I was like, who the hell is that? And I rewound and I did it again. And it was Sonny Chirac, who I'd never heard of. And I went and read his Wikipedia page. It turns out, you know, he's like an early jazz guy. And I've always, you know, like, I don't like jazz. But I like it when they freak out and they go into noise. Like, there is this Pat Metheny album, Zero Tolerance for Silence, that I really liked. And, you know, all of those dudes, like, really, like, it's like Bill Laswell is the bridge between them and experimental noise and stuff that I really like. And it turns out Sonny Chirac did a lot of work with Bill Laswell. And... 
Anyway, so I listened to his debut album, Black Woman, which was just a masterpiece. And if it came out today, I'd be losing my fucking mind about it. <laughs> and then a friend of mine was like, oh, you should really listen to Ask the Ages. So I listened to that, and that one was a little bit more jazzy. I liked it because it still had a good enough of the freak out experimental thing that I really like, but uh, not as much as Black Woman. God, that was a great record, man. Black Woman, Sonny Chirac. What a great record. There's a new live Dead Can Dance album live from the Ile Grand Palais, France, March 16th, 2005. I saw that tour. It was awesome. And that album is awesome and it sounds really good. And if you're a Dead Can Dance fan, it's really great. They're supposed to be touring in three months and I have a ticket and I doubt I'll get to go and I'm super bummed, but never say never. We'll see. Carolyn Payton, mock up. Uh, I've been thinking of her as kind of like a crazier Mary Margaret O'Hara. She's, uh, so yeah, I was reading Twitter and, uh, Numero Group, which is this great reissue label I love. Uh, they did like the Unwound box sets, uh, a bunch of other stuff. My friend Jeff does a lot of their mastering. Anyway, they tweeted out, Hey, we're sorry. You know, like, uh, Carolyn Payton passed away. She was amazing. We loved her, blah, blah, blah. You know, long tribute to this woman and the photo, she just looked stunning. So I was like, Oh, I've never heard her. So I went and listened to her album and it's called mock up and it was really good. It's like a crazier Mary Margaret O'Hara, which is awesome. And uh, I enjoyed it very much. So, yeah, I don't know anything about her. I didn't, like, read a long bio or anything. But she just passed away, and her album's really good. So, Caroline Payton. Then I got into, uh, oh, no, wait, no. Then Pom Pom Squad, Death of a Cheerleader, uh, saw, like, their KEXP performance on YouTube. And I was like, oh, that's a really good band. So I listened to it. And it was a great record. Kind of lady punk. <laughs> and it was awesome. I don't know anything about them. But strong recommend on Death of a Cheerleader by Pom Pom Squad. Then I got really into like mid 90s. <laughs> I don't know why. I suddenly started thinking about it. I wonder what Ed from Live is up to now. And then that got me thinking about Blind Melon. So I went back and listened to <laughs> both. Uh, I listened to the Blind Melon album, self titled. And then I listened to three live albums, uh, Throwing Copper, Secrets, Samadhi, and I didn't write it down, but the new one, not new, but Ed left the band for like seven or ten years, a really long time, and then he rejoined the band, and I listened to that album. Let's look up the name. All right, I lied. It was from before he left the album. Left the band, there was another album after Secret Samadhi, and it was called The Distance Left to Here. So I listened to three live albums. You know what? I did not like live back in the day, but they were a good band, man. I, I stand corrected. I was too cool for school on the live front. I saw Live and Blind Melon play together. They were opening for Public Image Limited and Big Audio Dynamite, and I did not like either one of them, and I was wrong on both counts. Two very good bands. I've been trying to like sort of clear out the gaps of my mid-90s too cool for school period and recognize bands that were good at the time that I I didn't <laughs> didn't respect. Emma's trying to figure it out. She's like, so you didn't respect Pearl Jam, but Soundgarden was okay? I was like, well, yeah, Soundgarden. I mean, I was listening to them in the 80s and like blah, 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 blah. You know, Seattle music scene, Green River, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> She's like, okay, this doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, I know, I know. But uh, yeah, so listen to both of them. Uh, and I listened to a band called The Preoccupations, and I don't remember anything about it. Hold, please. Oh, yeah, these guys. This is awesome. So, uh, yeah, somebody recommended them to me, and I don't remember who, and I liked it a lot. It's sort of post-punk and really mellow and weird. Not mellow. Post-punk. Cool. Intense. Dark. Uh, but then it turned out, when I read the Wikipedia page, that they were the Viet Cong, who I really loved, except for their name. So they wisely changed their name. So that was really good. So I, But I didn't realize that when I was listening to it. I just realized that now when I went and tried to figure out why I was listening to it. <laughs> anyway, The Preoccupations. Good record, man. Self-titled. There's more. I'm going to have to check it out. Uh, Sturgill Simpson has a new album, The Ballad of Dude and Juanita. 
It's pretty weird. It is continuing his bluegrass deep country shtick. Uh, stick is unfair that's judgmental i don't mean to imply judgmental but you know i mean like to recap the guy like you know doing these sort of like breaking country down into weird weird new directions things with men of modern sounds and country music and then going into like full-on like zz top like insane rock and roll and then like pulling it all back to the two cut and grass albums where he re-recorded his old songs with a top notch bluegrass band and now he's taking that band and made a new album and it's pretty pretty country bluegrass it's a concept album <laughs> about a man and his wife and loses his wife it's like a western it's pretty awesome though i really liked it it might not be your thing but it's pretty great hal hartley the film director has a new album he's always done his own scores and music and i own a lot of his albums so he's got a new one it's called our lady of the highway very atmospheric ambient like a lot of his music that he does under his own name and ned rifle and uh i liked it a lot i don't know if it's kind of a soundtrack to a film or an unreleased film or what but it sounds like his other soundtrack work, but I enjoy that. DMX crew, this one was thank you to Nick. And uh, we are DMX 2021 expanded reissue. I had listened to this album back in the day like once, but I forgot how great it was. And Nikki reminded me, and it's awesome. And what a great record. We are DMX, man. Solid record. Uh, Polo and Pan that was a great record I can't, somebody recommended that one to me as well Cyclorama is the name of the album it's sort of synthy droney uh, they're French I believe there's a lot of French on it uh, it's got a continental feel to it like a little bit like a droney Saint Etienne but uh, I was into it I really really liked it Polo and Pan there's a new Damon and Naomi record Damon and Naomi of course are the drummer and the bassist respectively of the legendary alternative band galaxy 500 this is probably their 10th album together i've owned them all i'm a giant damon and naomi fan i once sat next to him in a thai restaurant and i was very excited <laughs> i own a bunch of i own a bunch of the books that they put out on their printing press exact change press but uh yeah i love this record it's it's great it's uh mellow atmospheric it sounds like all the other damon and naomi records the guitar is really good they've got this woman japanese guitarist that's played with them in the last few records she's really great it really adds something to it. a lot of ebode guitar on it and uh, a lot of reverb on the whole thing and just beautiful great record uh the new lord i mentioned that uh quickly quickly new uh, new album on ghostly uh, I never heard of these guys, but apparently a guy, it's one guy, but apparently he made it big with a mixtape and, uh, like a first album that was like, they, Pitchfork calls it study music. He's from Portland and then ghostly signed him and he just put out his new album. It's called the long and the short of it. I really liked it. Uh, kind of, it's electronic. It's definitely like a little bedroom rock. It's, uh, definitely produced. Uh, he's got good vocals on it. Uh, some of the songs are insanely catchy. He's a good songwriter. Uh, I, I liked it. It's a very good record. Listen to the Angel Olsen EP Isles, which is her five song, five, five or six song EP of covers of 80s songs. It's called Isles because it's the song she would hear in the aisles of the grocery store while she was grocery shopping during the pandemic. And she's like, please don't overthink this. This is not like me. I know I usually make very, very well thought out, complex, serious stuff. This is not that it's a throwaway EP of covers. Don't think beyond that. And I'm like, all right, good enough for me. It's got If You Leave, Eyes Without a Face, Forever Young. It's right up my alley. I mean, it's awesome. Strong recommend. Uh, the new Def Haven album, Infinite Granite. Uh, Def Haven has basically stopped being a metal band. It's a full-on shoegaze band. They sound like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, like... Uh, like Melanova in 1997, <laughs> you 
uh, Azure Ray in 1998. I mean, it's like I listened to this kind of music for the last 20 years. Everybody's acting like it's kind of a big innovative thing, but yeah, I don't know. It's awesome. I like Def Haven in their metal days. My favorite song on this album is the last song where it's definitely got a lot more of the metal thing going to it, but uh, good for them, man. I'm glad they realized that Shoegaze is awesome without the metal. Uh, then Devendra Banhart has a new album with a guy named Noah Georgeson, and it's basically a full-on Wyndham Hill New Age atmospheric record, and I love it. It's called Refuge. I recommend it strongly. And then I listened to 27 Sparks albums, but it's lunchtime, so we'll talk about that later. Be back in a bit. Oh, I did Jeopardy last time I did a, a mid-podcast break, didn't I? It's funny. I always use the Jeopardy theme for those little breaks. It used to be a shtick of mine when I was in advertising. I guess I'm still in advertising. When I owned an ad agency. <clears throat> but now, these days, Jeopardy. Yeah, man. That's some hot news. That's some au courant topic. <laughs> uh, it's inadvertently relevant again. I remember, you know, back in 2005, I'd do the Jeopardy thing, and the kids would be like, I don't know what the hell you're doing, man. Everybody knows Jeopardy now. Anyway, welcome back. Uh, where I left off, I was about to explain to you that I listened to 27 Sparks albums. I watched The Sparks Brothers, the new documentary about Sparks, the band. Uh, the brothers, Ron and Russell Mayo, uh, directed by Edgar White, the acclaimed director of such films as Baby Driver, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, The World's End, Shaun of the Dead, and Hot Fuzz, as well as the legendary English comedy Spaced. His new film, he's got another film coming out very soon, but his current new film is a documentary about Sparks. I've always liked Sparks. Uh, I, well, I've always loved number one song in heaven and the album number one in heaven, sort of the first thing that Giorgio Moroder produced after Donna Summer's I feel love, maybe not the first thing, but very quickly after it, 1979 timeless album. You could listen to it today. And if you had to guess, you'd be like, this is either came out in 86 or last year, or maybe like 2002 during like when the rapture were big. But, uh, you know, I didn't really realize a lot of things about Sparks. I've listened to every album that's come out in the last decade or two. Um, decade. We'll go with decade. And two. Yeah, I don't know, man. Maybe it's been about 20 years. <laughs> uh, I did not know they were American. I thought they were German. <laughs> People in the documentary are like, I thought they were English. I'm like, I thought they were German. I, like was a very big fan of Yellow in my childhood, which is a band I associate a lot with Sparks. Uh, it's a duo, and they make electronic music, and they were very cool and experimental and interesting in the very early 80s, a little bit later in Sparks. Uh, and they are from Austria. So I just in my head always Sparks were from somewhere around there. <laughs> but nope, they're from L.A. They grew up in America. Uh, great movie. Uh, it's always nice to see a documentary made by somebody with a lot of money. A lot of documentaries can be very good, but you know, they're, they don't have a lot of money. So it's, 
it's all stock photography, vintage footage if they have it, and then talking head interviews. But when you got a lot of money, you can put puppet shows and cool infographics and all the animation and all this stuff into your documentary. It just makes it zippier and more pleasant. So I really enjoyed Sparks Brothers. It was a very good documentary. And I decided, you know, I didn't. Oh, the other thing I didn't realize about the Sparks is how old they were, how long they'd been around. I knew they'd been around a long time. I knew Number One in Heaven came out in 1979, and I thought that's when they started. What I did not realize is that that was their seventh album. Here comes my daughter. Hi, Jane. You want to come talking to the mic? What are you doing? Oh, you're trying to get Jane phone. Oh, oh yeah, mommy phone. Okay. Can you come say bye-bye? Bye-bye? Bye. -bye? bye. <laughs> All right, shut the door. <laughs> she needed her phone. Uh, anyway, I did not realize it was their seventh album, their eighth album, number one in heaven, and their first album was way earlier than that. So after watching this movie, I was like, well, I deserve, uh, you know, I mean, instantly I'm like, oh, I got to listen to every Sparks album. So I did. There are 26 now studio albums. One of those is a soundtrack that just came out, their newest album, the soundtrack to Annette, and one live album, Two Hands, One Mouth, live in Europe, came out in 2018. And 25 regular studio albums. Uh, I listened to them all in order, starting with their self-titled album Sparks, which was originally released as Half Nelson, produced by Todd Rundgren in 1969, <laughs> I think. Uh, and all the way through to their last album, the Annette soundtrack, and the one right before that, A Steady Die, Drip, 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 and the one before that, FFS, their collaboration with Franz Ferdinand. Uh, of these 27 albums, I think I had listened to about six before. I had heard Number One in Heaven, of course, and I had heard Balls and Lil Beethoven. And Hello, Young Lovers. I missed Exotic Creatures of the Deep. I listened to Hippopotamus, FFS, and a steady drip, drip, drip. Uh, I did not hear the live album. I did not hear Annette. And I did not hear anything before Balls except for, of course, Number One in Heaven. So I listened to them all. Sparks, A Woofer in Tweeter's Clothing, Kimono My House, Propaganda, Big Beat, Indiscreet, Sp Introducing Sparks, their sixth album is called Introducing Sparks, Number One in Heaven, Terminal Jive, Womp That Sucker, Angst in My Pants, In Outer Space, Pulling Rabbits Out of a Hat, Music You Can Dance To, that was my favorite Sparks album, very good album, like 1987 or so, Interior Design, Gratuitous Sax and Senseless Violins, Plagiarism, which is a remake of a, an album of remakes of the earlier songs, produced by Tony Vicanti most known for his work with David Bowie, who also produced their fourth and fifth album, uh, Lil Beethoven, which I already listened to, Hello Young Lovers, again, Exotic Creatures of the Deep, Hippopotamus, again, FFS, again, A Steady Drip, 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 again, which came out last year, Annette, I listened to, the soundtrack to the film, we'll talk about that in a little bit later, and the live album, Two Hands, One Mouth, Live in Europe. I really like Sparks. I think they're very innovative songwriters and lyricists, but my God, after 27 albums, I just never want to hear Sparks again. And that's really rough for me because right now I'm in the middle of watching Annette. <laughs> so yeah, that's it. That's a lot of music. I listen to a lot of music. Television. Uh, we're still watching Mythbusters. We are in the seventh season. So when we finish this season, we'll be halfway done. We're actually probably already halfway done because seasons, as you know, in any show, as the longer it goes on, the fewer number of episodes happen per season. Game of Thrones really took that to an extreme. Then they have a season with like four episodes. <laughs> It's <laughs> awesome. But uh, still watching it. It's pretty great. There's an auction going on right now for Mythbusters paraphernalia. Uh, I'm going to bid on something, but I don't know what. I'm waiting for my wife to look at everything. Uh, and then I'm watching What If. 
I don't think it's great. It's not terrible. Uh, it's fine. It's it's an amuse bouche. I hope they don't tie it in in some major way. The last one was kind of dark. There have been three now. Uh, and then I was thinking to myself, I was like, you know, man, I watch Star Wars cartoons, and now I'm watching Marvel cartoons, and I do not watch the Star Trek cartoon, and I like Star Trek a lot more than I like Marvel or Star Wars, so why am I not watching this dumb cartoon, Lower Decks? And I mentioned this to Emma, and I was like, do you want to watch this, or shall I watch this during, you know, my, my, my alone time or daddy bedtime time? And she's like, no, I think I want to watch it. And, you know, it's great, because it's only 26 minutes or so, so we watch it whenever we got a spare half hour and our two hours of TV time. And it's really funny. It's really good. It's hilarious. It's funny. It's the best of any of the animated cartoons, if you ask me. Only two episodes in. But I enjoy a good comedic cartoon, adult comedy cartoon. Uh, it's a little Rick and Morty-ish, less cerebral, but uh, absurd of humor, absurdist humor, a little, a little family guy-ish. And I'm not a big fan of one of those shows, but it works in a Star Trek setting. I'm, I'm pretty pleased with it. So that's the thing I'm watching. Uh, finished the bad batch, uh, which got a lot better towards the end and, uh, pretty intense by the like last two episodes. They're going the opposite direction of lower decks. Very dark, serious shit. Those poor Kaminoans. <laughs> Is that a spoiler? <laughs> I don't know. That's a tough one. Maybe, maybe I'm sorry. We'll see. See if anybody complains about me mentioning the Kaminoans. <laughs> Uh, but really, what I've been doing is I've been watching movies again, uh, mostly documentaries, but I just like I've been getting tired of my YouTube queue. I don't need to see any more home improvement projects or gardeners doing better than me. Uh, you know, some of them I've been still watching, but uh, it's been reducing. I've been unsubscribing to certain channels and I've just sort of been paring back. I think that phase is. It's, it's not coming to an end, but it's slowing down. So, and I've just been like, you know, documentaries have been this gateway back into watching movies again. So I watched one, two, three, three documentaries. Uh, I guess I've mentioned them all already. The Sparks Brothers, as we just talked about, very good. Summer of Soul, or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised. I mentioned this last week because I started it last Friday before the podcast. I finished it up a couple days later. It was directed by Questlove. It's about the 1969 Harlem Music Festival, Harlem Cultural Festival, and it's an amazing lineup and a bunch of never-before-seen never, never before seen footage. And it happened exactly on the days that we were landing on the moon, which is really amazing. And uh, it's just a fantastic film. Very well done as a debut, as, an, as, a, as a documentary. It's stunningly good. Uh, and I'm very excited because it made me learn about Sonny Chirac, who is awesome. Man, everybody's beeping at me. Okay, sorry about that. That was a friend of mine sending me the actual text of the submission to the courts on the Apple settlement. And it's all bullshit. You still can't talk about alternate payment methods in the app, just in other places. Super cool, Apple. Super cool. Yeah. You're on the side of privacy so much, you're on the side of against freedom of speech. That it really is something. Uh, anyway, uh, then we watched uh, Whirly Bird, which I told you about, which is the film about... Uh, now known as Zoe Tour, uh, originally Bob Tour, and uh, her husband, I'm sorry, her wife, Marika Gerard, who are Katie Tour's parents and were the sort of uh, pioneer innovators of helicopter news in the Los Angeles area. And it's just a fantastic documentary. And I loved it. And thank you, Rex, for recommending it. And strong recommend. And it's in Plex. Then I finished up Fast 9, The Fast Saga, 
That's the actual name of the film. Fast 9, The Fast Saga. <laughs> it's the stupidest subtitle. And it's a stupid film. I mean, it's fun. And I like the Fast and Furious franchise. And they're all kind of dumb. But this one's especially dumb. And there's one thing that almost makes it good, which is one character going through the whole film being like, why can't we get killed? Why do we never get hurt? This is really weird. And I like that, like, little, little meta commentary. They end up not doing anything with it. Uh, and then there's parts where it gets gloriously absurdist, like when they go to space. So yeah, I'm down with that shit. That's like jumping your car over a submarine or something. That's awesome. But then there's just a lot of little things that you're just like, that's not, that doesn't, I don't know. Like the bad guys, ah, it's bad. It's bad. It's, I don't know. It's hard to explain. There's something about it. It's like, maybe it's like when you masturbated for the fifth time in a day and you're just like, this is enough, man. This is enough. Like, I don't need more of this Fast and Furious, the same thing every time. I can't keep track of these people. There's like 50 of them. They say they're all friends, but I don't remember any of them. And they, like, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's tedious. It's tedious. But I'll keep watching them. Uh, and then I watched The Green Knight, which was okay. And I think I would have really liked it a lot if I had watched it in the theater. But I did not. I watched it across two nights at home in my living room and not in the nice theater, but well, the first half I watched in my nice theater room, the other half I watched like while I was watching Jane in the playroom with the lights on and it was almost all black and I could barely see anything. And I definitely did not give the movie the attention it deserved, but I think it was visually beautiful when I could see it. And uh, I found it very compelling as a reinterpretation of the green Knight, of Gawain and the green Knight. And uh, I liked it a lot, but also I was bored a lot, but that's because of the, my, that's on me and that's not on the film. And they should keep making films like that, even if I don't have the attention span. <laughs> this is why I go to theaters. In the pre-pandemic world, I absolutely would have seen that in the theater by myself and I would have loved it. And that's what I hope to do again someday, uh, but not yet. So I'm still watching these films at home. Uh which is going to suck because Dune's coming out. That one I'm going to give the proper attention, though. I didn't do this with The Green Knight, because, but I will do it with Dune. I will, like, because it's the thing, right? I got to, like, tell my wife that I need two and a half hours by myself. I got to, like, strike some deal, like, you know, if it's not my night with Jane or whatever. I got to, like, turn the lights down, turn up the music, and, like, make it a, or the sound and make it a big theatrical event in the theater room. And I will do that for Dune. But I did not do it for the Green Knight, but it was good. And then I rewatched Contact, which I hadn't seen since the theater. <laughs> uh, I was watching a rundown uh, from New Rock Stars on YouTube of something. I don't remember what, and it's not important. But he mentioned that it was referencing, or it looked like the machine from Contact, and it showed a clip of Contact with the big machine in it. And I was like, I don't remember that at all. And I didn't remember anything about contact except for like, no words should have sent a poet in the beach. You know what I mean? Like it turns out that movie was two and a half hours long. I didn't remember Matthew McConaughey is in it. I had no idea that Jenna Malone is in it. Like I just didn't know anything about it. I watched it like in the theater and thought that was a great film and then never watched it again. So I rewatched it and it's very good. Uh, I do think it like the NSA guy is a little tedious and Jodie Foster is a little bit of a pushover. And it, one of my friends, I was talking to her and she's like, it's her favorite film or one of her favorite films. And I was like, I just don't like how like Jodie Foster lets herself get pushed around so much. And I was like, they need to remake this film with somebody tough like Jodie Foster in the lead role. And I think if you remade Contact today, a lot of it would be the same. But like, you just give it like just 
the the main woman character would be stronger. She wouldn't. She'd be less naive. She's always like, "What? Why would you do that? No." Uh. Like I, I just introduce an element of like political savvy. Like you don't get grants that much in your life if you don't have a little political savvy. You know what I mean? It was, it was a little unrealistic. And uh, the poli- the political stuff I think is mostly realistic, but just it, sort of like. I don't know. That guy was just one note. Like, what was his motivation? That evil NSA guy, I, you know, not NSA. Uh, was he the, the defense uh, national security advisor? Yeah, NSA. Anyway, uh, it was a good film, and I'm glad I rewatch it. And yeah, you should too. It's not in my place, but it's coming. It will be in the next day or two. And then finally, books. This might be the longest web chat and report ever, but we are we're on the book section. And, uh, yeah, I read a lot of books. I've been reading a lot. I've been reading a lot and watching movies. I'm getting back. It's only taken 20 months, but I'm back into my pre-pandemic groove here. <laughs> uh, I finished the cybersecurity book. This is how they tell me the world ends. The cyber weapons arm race by Nicole Perloff. Uh, first half of the book is just stunning. It's about the history of the zero day market. And it's amazing. Second half of the book is just terrifying, which is about all the recent sort of from stuck snacks, the American Israeli attack and Iranian centrifuges to now, and the escalating arms race, uh, some of the treaties that have happened like behind the scenes, like Obama and the Chinese sort of working out a sort of ceasefire for a while, and same with the Russians, and then Trump, of course, ruining all that. It's all very interesting. I didn't know anything about a lot of that stuff. It's very terrifying. We're in a dark place. Uh, Biden just did a big summit yesterday, two days ago, this week, with a bunch of you know business leaders about this stuff, but there's no sign that it's getting better. It's just a nightmare, and it makes me want to get off the internet completely. Terrifying book. Then I read all the John Lewis comics, uh, March, books one, book two, and book three, uh, John Lewis, Andrew Aiden, and Nate Powell. Andrew Aiden was on John Lewis's congressional staff, and Nate Powell is the illustrator, and they did this three-book series called March that is about the dawns of the civil rights movement, and they're, when John Lewis passed away, they were starting a new trilogy called Run, and book one was just released which is, uh, I think, eventually going to be about him running for Congress. But right now, it picks up right where March left off. So it, it's right after Selma. Um, I don't even think MLK has been assassinated yet. It's coming. Oh, God. That's, next book is going to be really hard to read. But those four are out. So I guess it'll be a while before I have to worry about that. <laughs> They're just really good. And uh, I was reminded on Facebook when I mentioned this that I donated to my teacher friend who was buying copies of March books for comics for kids and I gave her a bunch of money and I forgot all about it and I did not actually read them back then so I just got around to reading them and they're beautiful and I strongly recommend them quick read you can do one about one a night third book's a little long that took me like two or three nights and run is two night book but in a week I read all of it so that was pretty great uh, and then, you know, I was having some insomnia some nights and like uh, one night I got some like work news at like 10 p.m. and I couldn't sleep and like uh, and I was just sort of like, I'm going to read short books. So I've been reading a lot of short books. Uh, I found this book. Uh, my bedroom has three reading piles totaling about 100 books. It's just impossible. But one thing reading the March comics did was it got me reading paper books again because I didn't have them on Kindle. I wanted to own them because I wanted Jane to find them someday in comic book form and read them. So I bought the comic box set and it got me reading paper books again. So I started looking at my big reading stacks, uh, which I do read books from, but I usually just look at the book and be like, okay, I'll read that now. And then I buy it again on Kindle. Uh, but I found a couple small books and I was like, well, I'll just bang these out. And I found, um, yeah, let's see. So first I read this book called Tumblr Porn by Anna Valens, which I bought. This is from the series called Dawn of the Internet. It's not the Dawn of the Internet. It's kind of like the Dawn of the Millennial Xennial Internet. It's like stuff from the 2000s. But, you know, obviously I worked at Tumblr. I'm interested in all of this. And uh, so I bought the book, but I never read it. 
And uh, Anna Valens is trans, and the book is very focused on like LGBTQ porn and uh, sort of that aspect of the Tumblr world. So it's a little bit different than mine. And, you know, being there, I could sort of like know reality around motives that she would ascribe to us and stuff. But it didn't matter. It was a really interesting book. And, and very she's very well versed in sort of the history of all of this. Like she talked about Live Journal and, you know, somebody who was actively, I'm kind of the only person that was actively involved in both. I mean, I was never employed at Live Journal, but I knew those people and I was like on advisory councils and stuff and I, I like worked with, with them. And then, you know, I was at Tumblr and I helped sort of David learn about Live Journal and things like that. So for me, it was very interesting. And um, even though a lot of the LGBTQ stuff, I didn't you know the, the creators that she mentioned and things like that, I didn't really know anything about, even though it was happening when I was there. But um, yeah, interesting book, interesting book. And then, you know, it goes all the way through well after my tenure there. It goes through like the deep, deep porning that happened since Automatic has bought them and things like that, which, you know, I thought was a little unfair because uh, it it really has been a bit the, at the behest of Apple and other outside organizations forcing this upon Tumblr. She quoted Matt when he talked about how when he bought it, he wasn't going to change that policy. But she like truncated the quote. And what Matt had said was like, yeah, I don't see changing that business policy because it's kind of moot because Apple doesn't let us anyway. And so she kind of left that part out. And of course, all of this was newly relevant again this week because of the OnlyFans drama where OnlyFans, one of the largest sort of creator porn sites on the internet, said it was going to stop allowing porn and then back down, which is different than Tumblr because Tumblr didn't back down. But anyway, very interesting book. Recommended. Uh, I'm kind of interested in the rest of the series, but that was, I think there's one other one that was sort of about something I cared about. But my internet, you know, a lot of these people, this is another one of those books with Gen X erasure where it's like, millennials were the first people to understand to like live both lives. I'm like, oh man, that was X. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I know it wasn't very much of X, right? Like, I know that those of us in X that were like on the internet as kids was small, the percentage wise, but it already was happening, you know? And like, I don't know. Anyway, whatever. It's a good book. Uh, and then I read uh, an untitled book by my friend Lisa Carver, who is editing my book right now. Uh, I've read a lot, most of her books. I want to say all, but I, I know that's not true. But uh, she is currently in Europe. She was moving to Botswana a while back, or traveling to Botswana, leaving Nevada. And she was sort of posting. She's like, okay, I'm getting rid of this. I'm getting rid of this. Who wants this? Here's all my books. Anybody need a copy of this? And I was like, oh, I don't have that one. What's that one? She's like, great. Give me your address. And she just, you know, sent it to me. I'm a, pat a Patreon supporter of hers and I'm a client because she's working on my book, you know? And uh, so she just sent it and then it sat on my shelf and uh, I didn't get around. I was like, oh yeah, that's right. I forgot that I have this Lisa Carver book I haven't read. So I read it and it was insane and intense. And one of the most harrowing, moving books I've ever read in my life. And I just cannot. I mean, I cannot recommend it strongly enough, but I cannot recommend it without a the biggest trigger warning you can ever imagine. Uh, but my God, it was masterful. And I think it is probably the greatest book of its genre of memoir I have ever been aware of or read. And I've read a few due to some of my past relationships requiring such reading. So anyway, uh, I don't want to talk too much about it because it's really tra traumatizing, but it is very, very, very good. And I was profoundly, profoundly affected by it. And I still kind of am. Uh, and then I decided I needed something really light. And I found this other book on my shelf, which was called The World According to Star Wars by Cass Sunstein. I do not recall buying this. I think I probably picked it up at a Chapel Hill library sale for a buck or two uh, on a lark because Cass Sunstein, of course, is a behavioral economist, worked in the White House, the Obama White House, most famous as being one of the two authors of Nudge. 
uh, nudge theory being, you know, a big part of sort of information design and behavioral economics, whatever. The dude wrote a book about Star Wars, too, and I was like, all right, I'll read this. So I'm about halfway through that now, so I guess we'll save the re our review till next week. But I am kind of deeply jealous that guy can just bang off a book about Star Wars and somebody will publish it. Because I could have written a book, this book in my sleep, and I think it would have been a little bit better, if I'm being honest. That's nothing on him. He's obviously better at his career than I am at mine and things like that. And, been, you know, a very successful guy. But, like, oh, this book is, like, good and I like it. But it's not notably better than, for example, my Star Trek book. But, you know, he's... Cass Sunstein, so he gets it published with a big publisher. Meh, meh, meh. I'm not jealous at all. No, I'm totally not jealous. No, 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 no. All right. Well, thank you for listening to what I believe is the longest episode ever of the Web Chatham Report. One hour, 15 minutes, 32, 33, 34 seconds. Pulling a little Kang the Conqueror there. Uh, yeah, drop a line. Say hi. Hope you're doing all right. I miss you guys. We will see each other again someday. Have a lovely weekend and talk soon. <laughs>